They are children, and until now the only teachers that they've had are a couple of hermits and the fear of extermination. But fear is an incompetent teacher. Yes, they have life, but no one is teaching them what it's for. To be alive is a responsibility as well as a right. What is this? The Vintage Picard Podcast. It's um, discussion, analysis, debate about Star Trek Picard. All right, good. It's really quite exciting, actually. Very good, fine. I'll listen. Engage. Hello, Picard people, and welcome to episode 11 of the Vintage Picard podcast. Vintage Picard, a podcast, an engaging podcast, where we cover Star Trek Picard and Star Trek at large. And we are back once again to talk up the season one finale of Star Trek Picard. We'll get there, but first... It would be in all of our best interests, I think, for me to introduce myself. Identify yourself. I am Gary McComiskey. I am a longtime Star Trek fan, somebody who is passionate about the product. And of course, I have a co-host on this Drek. Hello, I'm James Ajazi. Thanks for uh, inviting me over. I think I said Drek in when I was trying to say Trek, but given how most of the podcasts turn out, I think it's about accurate either way. But... Uh... <laughs> We are we are a couple of guys, two guys, in fact. We are James and myself, two gentlemen who take Star Trek very seriously. Ourselves, not so much. <laughs> what were you going to say, sir? I'm sorry. I apologize for interrupting you. It sounded like you said Trek to me, but that's fine. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that validation, James. <laughs> sure. How have you been? Been okay, thank you. Excited and, and looking forward to talking about the uh, finale, the, the, the season one finale of uh, Star Trek Picard. How about yourself? Oh, <laughs> I'm about the same vis-a-vis my health, but I'm right there in the same boat with you about talking about this episode. It's, it's going to be quite a conversation, I think, because it was quite an episode. Quite an episode indeed. Indeed. Yes, I, I find personally myself with a lot more questions than answers, even though it was supposed to sum up a whole season worth of uh, questions. With answers, but I kind of found the opposite a little bit. So I'm looking forward to uh, delving into this. Leave them wanting more <laughs> yeah. or different. Leave them wanting something else. That's <laughs> probably not the saying, but I think that applies in some ways here. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. A couple of things. Well, really one big thing before we jump into the episode proper. And that is Star Trek Discovery. Now, we did not get any concrete news about when the first episode of season three of Star Trek Discovery will be premiering. We got a very, very brief coming soon trailer for Star Trek Discovery prior to the final episode of Star Trek Picard. It was not so much a trailer as it was a scene, a lone, quick, brief scene of Michael Burnham planting a tattered Federation flag in some bleak looking surface somewhere. So with the caption, Star Trek Discovery coming soon. Now, it was kind of widely speculated that Discovery, even though we didn't have a release date, that Discovery would launch shortly after the end of this first season of Star Trek Picard because, well, 
again, this is something for the review, but as I mentioned last week on the show, there was more than a little speculation that the great profound evil or whatever, the, the savior of the synths was going to turn out to be control the evil AI from the future from discovery. So, and this season of discovery takes place in the far flung future. So, you know, there were tie-ins there. We never did get that release date. As I said, there was that speculation. However, we did get some hints from a couple of the Discovery actors this past week when they revealed that due to the coronavirus pandemic uh, interrupting people's ability to go in and and work, that the post-production on the show was taking longer than expected and the season might be delayed a little bit. Inexcusable and understandable. So we still don't know when that's going to launch. They said soon. I can only take them at their word. They've been so trustworthy so far. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> but uh, that, that, is, that is where we are with Discovery. So that is what we can expect. A big old question mark. If I don't inform you, there is a reason. Well, I don't like keeping you in the dark. Fortunately, we do have something concrete to talk about. And that is Star Trek Picard Season 1, Episode 10. Et in Arcadia Ego, Part 2. And if you missed last week's episode, just or if you forgot, just as a reminder, the kind of very loose translation of the meaning of that Latin phrase is more or less, again, a loose translation of the the intention, not the actual literal translation. Uh, it, it roughly translates to the idea of even in paradise, I am reminded that I will die. So, you know, that... Given given how this episode turned out, I can kind of see the uh, the the symbolism there and, and why they felt that was an appropriate title. But we will get there. We are not there yet. Not even close. Would a delay of one hour affect your plans? We start at the beginning, which my wife, who is a fan of The Sound of Music, would tell you is a very fine place to start. <laughs> uh, we start, in fact in the vicinity of the crashed Borg cube, which in the light of day close up looks a little worse for wear. It would be nice if they had actually shown us that messed up part of the Borg cube last week when they were telling us how broken it was instead of waiting until this week. But you know, I guess you can't have everything right. Tom Petty said, you can't always get what you want. Your information is incorrect. No, wait, that was the Rolling Stones. Yes. What did Tom Petty say? The waiting is the hardest part. That's something completely different. Never mind. Sorry. We have a long way to go. I'm <laughs> you gotta you gotta keep me on a leash here, James. I'm, this is gonna be bad. If I if I if you let me just keep going, this is gonna be bad. Anyway. <laughs> Crash Borg Cube. We see Narek, yes, that Narek, sneaking onto the Borg Cube, <laughs> skulking around, fresh off of his uh, I'm James is already breaking up. He he really liked that Benny Hill joke from last week. <laughs> yes, it was a perfect description. He's still talking about it. I am, and I'm still laughing about it. And the opening scene continued my crazy giggles. So I had to actually pause the episode and collect myself and then watch the rest of it. So thank you very much, uh, Gary. What for? De nada. So anyway... Narek enters the Borg cube. He sneaks past Elnor and Seven, who are discussing essentially whether or not the XBs are better off dead. 
and Seven points out that she is herself an XB, and, you know, she doesn't think she's better off dead. So, well, I mean, that's a valid argument. <laughs> but uh, I, I really have to question the instincts of Elnor and Seven. They've both proven themselves to be skilled warriors, and they just let this guy, this, this greasy little mook, tiptoe past them into the bowels of the ship like he, he you know like the james bond over there or whatever it, it's it's not it's not believable we cannot allow ourselves to think that agreed especially there, there was no uh there was no mention of a cloak either <laughs> right yes <laughs> he, he did not have a cloak and in the background we see these little uh what i guess are borg drones i i had assumed they were romulan when we saw them previously in the med bay but uh, they, I guess, are Borg drones, and they are studiously repairing the ship in the background. So, I guess they are capable of fixing the ship. They're just taking their time with it. No longer afford to be patient. Uh, they're union, so there was some red tape to get past. That's probably what it is. Yeah, good call. <laughs> anyway, so as Narek is tiptoeing through the Borg cube, who <laughs> should he happen upon but his sister, Narissa? Now. I distinctly remember Nerissa telling her aunt that she was going off with the Romulan fleet and that Auntie could join them if they woke up. And she beamed away. I'm pretty sure she beamed away at the end of that fight with Narek. But, like, I, I, I guess she decided to stay for some reason? That makes no sense. I'm inclined to agree. Like maybe the egos, there was only room for a Commodore O on one ship? I don't know. One Armada? Maybe? Okay. Anyway, I'm, I'm trying. Uh, I'm sorry. No, I know you're you're <laughs> trying harder than the writers did. They make serious accusations against you. But Narek happens upon Narissa, who puts a knife to his throat and then embraces him because they're weird. <laughs> and you know, Narek uh, through 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 the course of conversation, Narek mentions that he killed Saga. He he killed one of them, is what he said. And then there's. A little more brief innuendo between the two of them. Narissa invites him to see her place, which I, I uh, hopefully this is the last of it and it will be done soon. I'm not holding my breath on that, but I'm hopeful. As are we. Because I, I cannot take any more of that nonsense. What you're doing here is unethical. It's immoral. I'll fight it. Especially one of the specific questions he asked Narek too. That was a little bit much for me. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, she's a curious girl. Well, it's true. So. I get it. She's bad. She's the bad guy. I get it. Hasn't been that apparent. Mustache twirlingly evil, James, is the term. <laughs> yeah. In the synth settlement, which Capelius, Capelius Station, I think it was called. They didn't mention the name in this episode, but I think that's what it was. That's correct. Jean-Luc Picard is in a room somewhere. I believe it was the former Maddox's office. And. He envies the freedom that the butterflies have as they fly, flit, flutter away, free to go and come as they please. And Soji stops by and, you know, he's 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 reminding her, you know, you don't have to do this. And she's like, why can't you just appreciate that we want to do some genocide? It's our turn. Does this sound like a reasonable course of action to you? And he he's, he's like, no. No, you please, you you don't do this. You you can choose not to do this. You do have a choice in the matter. You need to choose to stop building this beacon. And then uh, we get Dr. Agnes Girardi squinting upwards at the beacon into the credits. 
That's my that that's my impression of the theme song. I'll take your word for it. It's not as not quite as iconic as some of the other ones, at least not yet to me. Your mileage may vary. Understood. Anyway, <laughs> on the other side of the credits, we once again see Narek with Narissa and he's collecting a satchel full of grenades and he's going to go blow up those flowers. Dang it. <laughs> He's more of a fan of urban sprawl. He's not he's not much of a gardener himself. <laughs> but uh so Narissa she tries to stop him. She's like, "You're you're going to screw this up. This is way too important. You are not going to finish this." And he's like, "No, no, no. I I am the one who got us here. I'm the family screw up, but I'm the one who delivered the goods on this whole thing. I am doing this thing." And she's like, "Fine, be that way." And so he leaves. And as he leaves, who do we see in silhouette follow him out the door? But Elnor. Excellent. Elsewhere on the SS Van Halen. They're in the, I guess you would call it engineering area. That that place (laughs) behind the transporter pad with those weird circles that I guess is the warp core. And, And there's a drawer like Rios has pulled out a drawer. If this was the Enterprise, I would think that was the dilithium articulation matrix, but it's not the Enterprise. It's just a drawer. He pulls it out and or it is pulled out and he's talking to Raffi uh, about how he, you know, basically he's got the magical MacGuffin, but he's afraid of the magical MacGuffin. This is, if you recall from last week, the tool that Saga gave him. And she, uh, she, she said, use your imagination. And so we find out that the intermix reactor is fused and, and that's why the ship Ashino go. So they, they can't repair it because they need to replicate a new part and they can't replicate that part because the intermix reactor is fused and it's a vicious cycle, unfortunately. And so Raffi wants Rios to use it. You've you've got this magical MacGuffin. They gave it to you. It's clearly meant to advance the plot. Just use it. And he's like, I don't know how to use it. I don't want to use it. I don't know how to work it. And she's she's, you know, she's like, well, she told you to use your imagination. Why don't you imagine that the hole is patching itself? And Rio says, that's not what fused means. That's not true. Uh, he, no, he, he doesn't actually say that. He should say that. But <laughs> but uh, he crawls. What he actually does is he crawls under the drawer. And lo and behold, there there is a hole in, uh, in this. Honestly, it's basically a mesh cable wrap, like a cable guide that you feed wires through. But I guess we're meant to think that that's a critical part. Because he holds up the magic MacGuffin and the hole fixes itself and the whole ship comes back online instantly. You can't expect me to believe that. It worked. (laughs) That's not what fused means. (laughs) Fused means it's welded together. It doesn't mean there's a hole in it. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Gary. What for? (sighs) And I'm glad to see that uh, Willy Wonka is doing well in the future. Yeah. He's moved on from candy to uh, <laughs> MacGuffins or whatever you would call in that crazy little fixer-upper thing. You don't know what a MacGuffin is? It's not a term I use. I, I don't want to uh, step on your toes there. 
All right. Well, that's fine. <laughs> Listener, if you don't know what a MacGuffin is, a MacGuffin is basically a term for an item that is introduced just to be a plot point. That is the only function that it serves. It's uh, it's it's often kind of a, a well, I said magical to describe this. It, it doesn't necessarily have like, you know, magical powers, but it's often kind of like um unique and and suited exactly coincidentally exactly for the situation that it's needed for and and has no other purpose or justifiable reason to exist otherwise that's a macguffin and this this is this is the magical macguffin this this item because that's you get it you get it you're a smart person so uh, you know as they're standing there raffi and rios as they're standing there in awe that the whole ship was fixed by fixing a tiny hole in a cable wrap I, I was in awe of that myself for different reasons. They hear this clanking noise and Rios is like, I recognize that sound. <laughs> and we don't find out what it is just yet because we shoot back to Capellius station and Dr. Agnes Girardi and Alton Inigo Sung are chatting it up. Basically, uh, they're, they're talking about, oh, you know, you're making good progress on this mind transference thing that that we have you working on and it's it's real nice that you're doing it you know it's it's great that you're willing to put yourself out there and sacrifice yourself for the good of all of the synths that's what mothers do and then he walks out and Gerardi starts mumbling to herself and then she's like i'm not their mother and so we find out that it was in fact all a ruse and she is still working for the good guys, even though they were supposedly able to tell when she was lying and she, I guess, would have been lying if she was secretly working. You know what? It doesn't matter. It's, it's just we don't have time to get into it. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't matter. You're right. So back at the 5150, uh, <laughs> Narek is throwing rocks at the SS Van Halen. And he that that's that was the thunk thunking sound that Rios heard Narek throwing rocks at the ship. I'm curious why they didn't explain how he knew that there was some dummy throwing rocks at his ship that he's heard that before. But I was very impressed with the uh, Narek's quote unquote, say anything moment though. I would have preferred instead of throwing rocks, he would have stood out there with a big boom box in your ship. <laughs> the rocks, the clunks, your ship. I'll throw some chunks, your ship. I'll hit the windshield and maybe crack it, your chunks. I want you to stop this immediately. <laughs> I mean, there's no deflector or structural integrity field to protect it when it's down on the planet, so you have to figure it's vulnerable. Speaking of which, yes, if I'm going to try and get somebody's attention who's my enemy mm -hmm. in a ship, I'm not going to be standing where the... The firearms are pointing either, by the way. Maybe go to the side or something. Knock on mm. the door, possibly. <laughs> Hello? Is anyone in there? Let me in, please. I've got grenades. Please don't leave me out here in the rain. My hair might get washed. Can't have that now. This is foolish. <laughs> so you asked how rios recognized that sound my headcanon is that 
he he is not a popular guy. He's very brusque and acerbic and uh, standoffish to people. So my headcanon is that on the planets where he goes to smuggle, he makes enemies and people frequently throw rocks at his ship because they're dissatisfied with him in some way. That's all the explanation I needed. Thank you, sir. Cool. Okay. Anyway, so Narek is standing outside throwing rocks and... Uh, and Rios opens up the comms. He's like, hey, how about I hit you with a photon torpedo? Let's see what that looks like. And Narek is like, dude, I have a bag full of grenades and I am throwing rocks at you. What does that tell you? It's an important consideration. And he's like, listen, listen, I have a proposal. We have a business proposition to discuss. We have a common enemy here in these synthetic creatures. They're up to some bad juju. Why don't we play together? And so... uh we are left to ponder that as we head into commercial. On the other side of that, we find out that his argument was very persuasive. He's now inside the ship and they're talking through the, the whole you know, situation. And Narek lets him know they are building a transmitter. He, he sounds a little more, they're building a transmitter. That, that's not, that's, that's more, uh, that's a little more Alec Guinness than Narek. Who is that? But you get, you get what I'm, yeah, anyway. So they're building this transmitter and uh, they are bringing... Ganmadan. Ganmadan is coming. And the village is on lockdown. The comms are jammed. They can't contact Picard. And, you know, it's a bad situation. This is why we need to join forces. Oh, hi, Elnor. <laughs> Elnor sneaks up on him, puts a sword to his throat, tells him something in Romulan. And Narek replies, yes, yes, I very much do choose to live. Which is, is a nice touch. I do enjoy, and I know you do, James, I do enjoy the various ways they sprinkle in Elnor's catchphrase. Very much so. I, I agree. So uh, they're like, all right, settle down, Junior. Hear this guy out. So he reluctantly settles down. Back in the settlement, Dr. Sung is busy recovering Saga's <laughs> memories, and he's doing so in order to make a keepsake for her sister which I guess, you know, pop her memories in a little thingamabob that she can just reminisce about the good times, I, I guess. I don't know. It's not really explained. It's really just a means to an end because it, it just gives Sung a reason to be there when Dr. Gerardi comes in and tells him, hey, I need you to conspicuously leave the room for a minute. Uh, or, I'm sorry, I need you to go decrypt some files for me. That would be cool. <laughs> And he's like, well, I am very good at that. Sure, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll go take care of that. And then Dr. Gerardi steals Saga's eye out of her socket. Yee. Unpleasant. I guess she figured she already was down one. Who'd miss another one? Well, she's, she's only, well, I guess she's dead. What does it matter? But still. Her beautiful eye. Oh, her beautiful golden eye. Her other one. Her other beautiful golden eye. You always did have a flair for the dramatic. <sighs> anyway, elsewhere, back in the vicinity of the Van Halen, the gang has retired outside around the campfire for some reason. <laughs> the ship is working again. I'm sure they have central air on the Van Halen. Food. Comfort. But no, they're outside sitting around a campfire for some reason. I guess it's more, I don't know, um, scenic. I guess the ambiance is better for the story that Narek is going to tell. And that story is, in fact, the story of Ganmadan, 
What's Ganmadan, you ask? Well, Rafi asked, but you may also ask. What is Ganmadan? Oh, well, it's an ancient story of two sisters who are twin demons, and they come at the end of time to unleash a very bad demon, or multiple very bad demons. It's, it's plural. And, uh, and Rafi's like, yeah, we know this story. And Narek is like, excuse me, I'm expositing here, if you don't mind. May I finish? Uh, please, be my guest. So they will open a crack in the sky and unleash some very bad stuff. Thousand days of pain, dismembered corpses, eating entrails, picking bones, you know, your standard apocalyptic stuff. And uh, they, they say, do you really believe this is a prophecy? Don't you? And he's like, no, I believe this is history. And the thing about history, it repeats. So just to be clear, what Narek is suggesting is that the story of all organic life being wiped out in the galaxy is history. And now it's happening again to all the organic life that was once wiped out in the galaxy. <laughs> Something does not compute there. I don't, I'm no super genius, but I was pretty good at logic in high school. So A does not equal B. That's a very adult bit of reasoning. They, I think you touched on two great points. One, the campfire thing. As he's telling the spooky story, I, I thought there was going to be a flashlight underneath his face too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and the twin demons come and open a crack in the sky. Exactly. And blow the horn of the great hell beast Ganmadon. Oh! So thank you for pointing that out. And also... And they never caught him to this <laughs> very day. Some say he still wanders this planet. Ghosts, perhaps? <laughs> Uh, and the other thing being, how many... Oh, 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 the logic thing was excellent, so now I understand why the Vulcans had to knock off the Romulans or the Romulans decided to leave the logic of Vulcan because that's a little bit too frustrating to deal with. And also, how many stories of Armageddon do the Romulans have? Incalculable. Look, you know, some people just get fixated on things. Maybe Armageddon is the Romulans thing. Possibly. <laughs> I guess so. They're very thorough, James. They don't want to miss a thing. Why have you done this? Ah. <laughs> uh, uh. So, so Narek says, "Please, my friend, pass the s'mores." No, he does not. And um. So, uh, speaking of Romulans, uh, here come the Romulans because they're still coming. We're reminded, we see Commodore O leading the fleet, warping to the system where we knew they were on their way to. Well, they're still on their way, just in case you forgot. So on the other side of the commercial, uh, they've decided to go back inside the ship for some reason. And, uh, well, I mean, there was like thunder and lightning in the sky. When, Finally. When we left, yeah, when we went to commercial. But then... The next scene, they're inside the ship, and it's sunny and bright outside. So 
I, like it doesn't there, there's no continuity on this show none whatsoever nobody's perfect they're inside the ship and they start hatching out a plan they decide what they're going to do is use Narek's bag full of grenades to blow up the transmitter we don't need to destroy the flowers we need to destroy the transmitter so how do we get them in without arousing suspicion well Narek told Narissa he was able to sneak out He'll be able to sneak back in. So, of course, what they decide to do is walk right up to the front gate and use the old, hey, we got a prisoner, wink, wink, nudge, nudge ruse, which, uh, you know, nothing conspicuous there. And how are they going to get the explosives in? Surely they're going to be searched. Well, James, you may have forgotten because they've been very subtle about it. But Rios plays soccer. (laughs) So they're going to hide them in a soccer ball. (laughs) That's not conspicuous at all. And it worked. So uh, elsewhere in the settlement, Dr. Agnes Girardi uses the eye that she swiped from Saga in order to access Jean-Luc Picard's prison room. And honestly, it's a much nicer room than where they were keeping Narek. So he should be happy about that. But uh, so he was, you know, what? I'm going to backtrack just for a second, just to throw out a question, not even going to bother exploring it, just putting it out there. If this was Maddox's room and Maddox had free reign, presumably of the facility because he was partners with Sung in building all these people, why did he need an eyeball scanning security device on his door to keep people from getting in and out? I, I, I just, all right, just putting that out there. Anyway, where was I? So Gerardi gets in and she finds Jean-Luc Picard lying there on the bed. Not responsive. She fears the worst. I am not dead. He's not dead. He is just annoyed. (laughs) He's very annoyed. I guess at being woken up, he's 94 years old. I guess you get cranky when you're napping. One one assumes. But uh, she's, what are you doing here? I'm busting you out. And, and, and. So then they kind of, rather than relying on good, thought-out, quality writing, they just decide to hang a lampshade on how bad of a secret agent Gerardi actually is by uh, having her opine that, you know, I thought I was pretty bad at this, but I think it might be my secret superpower. (laughs) Right. Okay, let's go with that. I do not want to be led around. I do not want to be patronized. So uh, they, they, they plan to go back to the Van Halen. And then, uh, you know, Dr. Sung, we discover, has just completed his work on the Golem. And I'm, I'm going to just just insert a quick note here. I'm going to call it a Golem. I'm not going to pronounce it the way they do, which is Gollum, because Gollum is a creepy little guy from the Lord of the Rings. And, uh, you know, Dr. Sung may covet him as his precious, but it's not the same thing. Thank you for clearing that up, sir. He wants to become a synthetic being. He wants it. Are you all right? So, uh, also, (laughs) by the way, I noticed that Saga is now (laughs) laying in the same room, right next to where the golem was. Now, in the previous scene, I'm pretty sure that's not where she was. 
did he have her body moved in there at just just so he could be close to her? I mean, he did tell Gerardi to monitor her and Gerardi ditched him. So maybe he's like, all right, well, if I can't rely on her, I guess I'll multitask. And I also noticed that for somebody who was so obsessed over her beautiful golden eye, oh no, he failed to notice that she was missing one. Like, that's a bit of an oversight. A little bit. Anyway, so she beeps. Or the equipment that's that's running on her beeps. And then we we conveniently see a memory. I guess the last thing that she saw pop up. And it is Narek kind of, I guess we're supposed to think that he was strangling her. I, I guess he kind of grabs at her. I assume strangle, but I, I really can't say for sure. And then... Popping in from nowhere, here's Sutra. She just kind of leans in over his shoulder and stabs her in the eye. Now, as previously established in the last episode, the hummingbird through the optical processor is what killed her. So I think maybe somebody didn't read the script and uh, or, or the director, I guess, didn't read the script, which is a little odd, but would explain a lot about this show. Agreed. And... We we even though Narek tells us a couple of different times that he was the one that killed her, we actually see Sutra doing the deed. So maybe he's just taking credit for something that he didn't do because he's that kind of guy. But you know, it just doesn't jive, James. It's a mystery. Um, maybe he was asking that he was thirsty so he was asking for water so then he did the whole benny hill thing so maybe he was just dehydrated and got confused yeah that could be it yeah that's true i found it unlikely so uh dr sung sees what she saw he sees sutra murder her and he looks shocked i guess he wasn't in on it after all which i gotta tell you i found pretty surprising because of how creepy he was acting in the last episode but I guess that was just a ham-handed misdirect. That I can't answer. I I don't know. I I'm not going to I'm not going to get into it. I don't feel like devoting the brain power to it. So, we then see the gang, Rios and Raffi and Elnor, I guess was there as well, trying to plot out how exactly to destroy the transmitter, and they're like, "How are we going to get up there?" And from behind them, Dr. Sung pops in, he's like, "That's a great question." I'm glad you asked. And then uh, back back on the Van Halen, Picard and Gerardi have arrived. And even though they both just got there and Gerardi is not an expert, well, seemingly in anything at this point, Picard immediately demands that she gives him a status update and gets snippy when it takes a few minutes. You no longer afford to be patient. I don't know. I, again, I guess he's gotten cranky in his old age. Well, like uh, the great Scotty once said that when you're dealing with captains of uh, in Starfleet, you have to treat them like they're babies and they're always demanding things. And, and then you have to make yourself look like a miracle worker. So maybe maybe that's what uh, you know, Picard just has that in his mind. He demands things. He always had a great crew around him. And if it doesn't happen instantly, like modern times of where we are today, where a youngster 
if um, the computer is uploading for five seconds, he or she loses his, his patience. So maybe it's something like that. Captains are like children. They want what they want when they want it. But the secret is not to give them what they want. It's to give them what they need. <laughs> you never go wrong with Mr. Scott. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, I have adopted the same philosophy with directors in theater. <laughs> As, a, as a, a technical theater person myself. Well said. What's with all the drama? <laughs> we have callbacks too. Yeah. <laughs> James busted that out on me before we started recording. That was, uh, I, I have to give the nod to him on that one. That's, that's. I, I pay attention. That's enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of us. I appreciate your telling me. But I'm quite sure that the two of you will find some way to deal with the situation. <laughs> So we find out that the Romulans are seven minutes out. They'll be here in seven minutes, James. There's only seven minutes until the plot culminates. We have very little time. And uh, so, you know, they, they'll be here in seven minutes. How are we going to stop them? Well, we'll stop them with a Picard speech. That's an excellent idea. That's, that fixes everything in Star Trek, James. True enough. If only we were like that in real life. Yeah, so Picard, he, he gives his, his Picard speech about how we have to overcome fear and whatever. And so he sits down in the command chair and he boots up the interface and he says, let's see if I was paying attention to Rios. And... They lift off the SS Van Halen spaceward and Gerardi lets out a gratuitous and completely uncalled for make it so. This one's mine. That was a phaser to my heart uh, that I just not right and unwarranted edit it out and make sure it never airs or sees the light of day. Like to me, it was just forced. I mean, clearly it didn't hurt me or affect me as much as it did you. I just thought it was like, oh, this is, they're trying to make a moment here that just doesn't work. And forget the fact that I'm not a big fan of the character of Gerardi, but that was just, nobody says that except for Admiral Picard or Captain Picard. It's just, (laughs) so back in town, I guess they, they, they're all gathered round the old transmitter and Sutra is laying out the plan here as to uh, how they're about to proceed. You know, once, once the portal gets opened, the, the great liberator will come and they will be here almost instantaneously. I want you to remember that this will be important later. They will be here almost instantaneously. And while Sutra is speechifying to everybody else. Soji is in the background doing all the actual work. She's the one building the transmitter because I guess in her time researching the Borg on the cube, she became an expert in, I don't know, quantum nano mechanics or something trekky. I don't know, whatever. Insert whatever techno babble you, you think is applicable to this transmitter. What sort of meaningless double talk is this? And in walks Dr. Sung and he said, how? How could you help that Romulan kill your sister? Help that Romulan kill your sister. Not stab her in the eye with a hummingbird. Help that Romulan kill your sister. And he's like, I thought I taught you better than that. And he whips out a magic off button and he just presses it. And she goes, (laughs) and she's never seen or heard from again. (laughs) She, she collapses right out of the show. Not the least bit sarcastic. That's exactly what happened. 
But we don't have very long to ponder that, because then almost immediately it is round one. Fight! And everything kicks off. Everybody on the planet starts punching each other. Well, honestly, the Van Halen crew do most of the punching, which is actually impressive considering that they're squaring off against a horde of super strong, super fast androids. But, you know, they're scrappy. So uh, they they have plot armor. So they're able to pull it off. (laughs) It's the only explanation. Rios doesn't even join in because he's waiting for his opportunity to, to blow up the base of the transmitter, which is where they've identified as the weak spot. But he can't because Soji's standing there and he's not going to blow up Soji, right? What has she ever done that would warrant that kind of retribution? I cannot allow my personal feelings to unduly influence my decisions. I'm so desperate for sports that I was hoping that he was going to treat it like a penalty kick. (laughs) <laughs> or, or a corner kick and like curve the ball in with the bomb in it <laughs> but it didn't happen i was very upset i'm sorry about that james <laughs> i need sports i know i'm sorry that's okay uh, something that i need is an explanation because this is a trope that's been in tv and movies forever and i never understand it and it always annoys me so They identified as the like the weak point that's going to take down the entire transmitter as the panel where you put in the instructions like an, an input device. I don't understand why they think blowing up the keyboard will destroy the transmitter. This is the same thing where like in a movie, if somebody is trying to stop like a virus upload to the web or something, they will shoot the monitor. And think that that's going to work. Do you intend to blast a hole in the viewer? Like, I don't get it. That's not how computers work. That's not how technology works. If you want to blow up the transmitter, why not blow up the actual transmitter? (laughs) I know that that's a really wild, outlandish concept, but, you know, just, just give it a shot. Just, what, what's the harm? That's enough. You've made your point. Anyway, back on the SS Van Halen. Dr. Girardi wants to know, uh, just, just, just so we're clear on the plan, how are we expecting to stop 218 warbirds? No? Nothing? Nothing? No? Are, are you not answering for the suspense? And she turns around and Picard is like, I'm actually piloting a ship that I don't know how to pilot for the first time in many, many years, and I'm trying not to get us blowed up. Thank you. So, um... You know, if you don't mind, I'd prefer to concentrate on that. And she's like, okay, cool. Good plan. That's, that's, let's, let's do that one. Yeah, that, that's fine. That's sound advice at any time. You definitely see how much Picard misses data in these scenes, by the Mm -hmm. way. And she says, she, she throws a little call back at us. She says one impossible thing at a time, (laughs) which is a call back to earlier in the series. That was what? That was, uh... Raffi said that that's something that she and Picard used to say to each other in the old days. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. So back on the planet, uh, Soji gets distracted by a whining Narek who's begging for his life, I guess, because that's what he does. He's really good at that. And so she's distracted for a minute. She takes a step away from the panel and Rios is like, okay, I guess she's in the clear now from the giant explosion. (laughs) That's, that's supposed to engulf this transmitter. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure being 
two feet away from further away than she was is is the safe distance that she needs to survive. So he he takes the this grenade thing out of the soccer ball and tosses it not very well at the the transmitter and Soji like uh, the the robot that she is catches it and she hurls it up into the sky where it explodes harmlessly. She'd make a hell of a third baseman. Yeah. James, given that she is an android and this is kind of a a baseball type, uh, baseball-esque play, it put me in mind of a video game that I used to enjoy playing for the NES called Base Wars, wherein, you know, like uh, cyborg players would play the game of baseball and they would settle out calls by fighting. And if the runner one he was safe and if the uh the baseman base bot i guess uh won the fight then he was out so i missed that game that was awesome base wars what is the purpose of this (laughs) anyway so back on the borg cube we see nerissa who is is trying to get the borg weapon systems online now you know what Screw it. I don't care. I find that hard to believe. She's trying to get the Borg weapon systems online. And who walks in but Seven of Nine? And she uh, she, she kind of catches her at phaser point, and she disarms her, and disarms her again, and continues to do so. And she's got her dead to rights, I guess. And then Nerissa breaks out her deadliest weapon, her tongue. And she calls Seven a disgusting half-meat. She said, you'd be very pretty if you weren't a disgusting half-meat. And I guess that was, I don't know, it must have struck a nerve because Nerissa was then able to kind of catch a cheap shot on Seven. And then it's on. Round two. Fight! And so... They kind of kick it off with the punching and the kicking and the whatnot. And then up in space, they're here. The Romulan fleet has arrived. Deploy the flowers! Which is a phrase that I guarantee you no one has ever said. I would certainly hope not. Um, so... <laughs> to space! And so, back on the cube... Nerissa is is jaw jacking to seven. And I guess she's done some reading because she knows all about her history, how she was a young child named Annika and she got assimilated when she was six years old. And, you know, she's she's basically trying to demoralize her. But, uh, you know, seven, seven's like, yeah, well, all that may be true, but uh I still have something to do. Specifically, I have to kick you off a ledge. Goodbye. In my century, we don't succumb to revenge. We have a more evolved sensibility. And she she, she punts her off the ledge, and Nerissa falls to her death. I'm sure she's dead. I'm sure we will never see her again. That's the last we'll ever hear from her. You know, her magical transporter that has saved her from so many other life-threatening situations before... That can't possibly have come into play now that the Romulan fleet is up in space orbiting the planet. So I'm sure she's dead and gone. You see, I'm just not convinced. <laughs> no doubt. So up in space, as I said, the the Romulans are, are the fleet is here. 
the flowers are in the air and Gerardi is like, okay, cool. But when these flowers stop being effective, what are we going to do? She's like, you know, if, if you can figure out a way to get out of this, they will name the move after you. They'll call it the Picard maneuver. Wait, that's actually a thing, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is. And instead of dropping it off there, they actually explain what the Picard maneuver is, which I thought was gilding the lily a little bit. I mean, I'm fine with it because of the way that Patrick Stewart played the scene, which I thought was, you know, the exasperated, like, been there, done that. It's not going to work. Don't even bother bringing it up. I thought he played it well, but I really, I don't think they needed to explain the whole thing. I thought it would have been nice if they just mentioned it and moved on. Like, uh, if let's say she's like, if you get out of this, they'll name it after you. They'll call it the Picard maneuver. And then you just kind of, the camera drifts over to him and he just kind of arches an eyebrow and they, they go on with their business. Why would she even know about that? That's a very specific military maneuver. She is a roboticist. She did not go to Starfleet Academy. Why would she have learned about that? That thought had passed through my mind. Uh, again, the, the, this at least they're consistent. This series has had a habit of banging us over the head with things and facts and trying to bridge the gap between diehard Star Trek fans and the casual Star Trek fan, and maybe even the casual sci-fi fan, and bring us all in together and enjoy a new series. So maybe that's the real explanation, possibly, because they're very, uh, speaking of banging us over the head with things, bonk bonk on the head, they have a relationship setting up now between Gerardi and Rios. So possibly Rios... Maybe they were talking one night that we didn't see, and, and he just explained a little bit of Picard's great history. Possibly uh, Rafi maybe mentioned it. I'm trying as hard as I can to come up with an explanation. Clearly. I don't think it's working, but there you go. Good try. Nine out of ten for effort. Well, I, I appreciate the effort, James. I'm sure our listeners do as well. <laughs> I'm exhausted. What Gerardi does say is, hang on, we've got this magic MacGuffin that... Rios has finished using, so it's just laying here. Why don't we use it to try and solve all of our problems? Specifically, why don't we use it to do something that it has demonstrated no ability to use previous to now? Let's use it to multiply our sensor image and to create hundreds of ship ghost images and sensor echoes, like what Narek did with his ship in, in the previous episode, at the beginning of the previous episode, where he reversed his cloak, which isn't a thing. And Picard's like, cool, cool. First, uh, I need to make a call real quick. So he puts in a call to Soji, and he's like, Soji, I need you to reconsider. I want you to know that I'm going to give your people something. I will give you my life. Oh, no. No. Uh how can I accept this? And so she's like, huh. And then we go back to space and we see that the flowers are all blowed up. And Commodore O is like, okay, focus fire on the planet. And just, just a sidebar. She's a terrible tactician. There were like 20 flowers and 218 ships. She could have had 200 of them fighting the flowers and just sent the nine on either flank to fly around them and shoot 
a single photon torpedo at the planet, but then there would be no episode. So I guess, you know, the fact that she's been this genius next level operator hiding in plain sight in Starfleet for all these years is secondary to the fact that she has to be really tactically dumb in order to advance the plot of this show. No, that's quite true. So, uh, sorry. I got no defense for that one. I just, I just had to get that off my chest. I'm sorry. Thank you. So Dr. Girardi, Agnes, if I may be so bold. You may not. Agnes, uh, she, she picks up the magical MacGuffin and she presses the button that Rios told us earlier in the episode wasn't there. And so uh, she, 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 she presses the non-existent trigger and they create the hollow fleet around them. Uh, they, they appear to be warping in and there's nothing conspicuous at all. The Romulans find nothing conspicuous about the fact that hundreds of identical ships which are making identical maneuvers and all showed up at exactly the same second are are fighting them nor the fact that none of their disruptors are hitting anything when they shoot the ships the romulans are exceedingly dumb i that's the only explanation all the smart ones got killed in the supernova and these are the ones that are left i that's like the that. only explanation that's it there you go thank you it's a model of simplicity either that or all the jat vash are are the ones who are fighting in this fleet and they were so brain damaged from the admonition that they are not capable of reason any longer possibly so now, James, if you were hiding amongst a fleet of hundreds of ships and you were the only thing that was keeping them going, what would you do? Where would you station your ship? Because if you said right in the middle front of the fleet, right in the center up front, then you too are qualified to be a Starfleet Admiral. If your issues are with me, then deal with me. Because that's exactly where they place the Van Halen in this uh, this fight. And predictably, they get shot very quickly and the whole illusion crumbles like a house of cards. <laughs> Which is kind of a problem because the beacon is still active down on the planet. In fact, it has been finished and activated and it fires its beam up into the sky and it opens up the rift, the portal, the, the hole in the sky, the, the portal to the unspeakable Ganmadon terror that is going to come and wipe out all organic life instantaneously. But uh, here's Starfleet. Starfleet shows up to save the day. Da, 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 da. And Commodore O, again, very absent-minded. She's like, okay, retrain all of your guns on them now. <laughs> when, again, like one photon torpedo would make this whole thing moot. <laughs> so, uh, but Starfleet is there and the Starfleet fleet is commanded by none other than Captain William T. Riker. Number one. And I have to say, James, when I saw in the last time on Star Trek Picard scenes at the beginning and they dropped in 
that one bit of the scene between Riker and Picard where he's like, thank you for not trying to stop me. And he's like, I never could or something to that effect. I, I was hoping, I was hoping that this is what would happen. And my, my, mm, my hopes paid off. You must trust us. There he is, old Johnny Frakes in all of his glory. <laughs> he looks great in that chair. He's commanding, he's funny, but he's also, you know, very, very serious and, and gets it done. He stares down the Romulans like nobody's business. He's like, hey, just an FYI, that planet that you're about to wipe out, we got their back. You know, we, we got this message from Picard days ago, a couple days ago. So we called dibs on this planet and uh, I've got this fleet full of awesome which is made up of the top of the line, cutting edge, best ships that Starfleet ever built. And our phasers all happen to be trained on your warp cores. So give me a reason. There is no need to make threats. We each know the consequences. (laughs) And Commodore O takes a breath and she's like, prepare to fight. (laughs) And then doesn't. For no discernible reason. No reason you're aware of. <laughs> don't don't make. I'm, I'll do it. I'll do it. Don't make. No, I will. No, I will. I will. I will fight you. I will. Don't. I, don't. Don't test me. Don't test me. I, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I will do it. Don't. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna fight you. I'm shaking my head. It's dumb. <laughs> the good old hold me back tactic. Yeah, hold me, hold me back, hold me back. I'm, I'm gonna, I'll take them all on. I'll take them on myself. I wonder if she's as horrible at 3D chess as well. It's always a game of chess with them, isn't it? I don't understand how this woman, who's a terrible strategist, a terrible tactician, a terrible commander, I don't understand how she not only rose to be the leader of the Jatvash, but also <laughs> rose to be the secret leader of Starfleet security. How how does she tie her shoes? She's really <laughs> bad at this. They make serious accusations against you. She's half Romulan and half Vulcan, but she's all terrible. Okay. I'm the, I'm I'm going to I'm going to have a brain condition if I keep this up. <laughs> You're destroying yourself. And anyone foolish enough to listen to you. On the Van Halen, Picard has a brain attack. He's 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 got one of those oh moments and he says to Gerardi, "Give me that medicine. I need that sweet good stuff." And she's like, "No, no, that's not no, no. And he said, it's only hastening the inevitable. And so she shoots him up with that good stuff. And he's like, all right, time for one final Picard speech. <laughs> and so he calls up Soji again and implores her to do the right thing and reminds her that she has a choice. They trust her to make the right choice. If Starfleet wanted to kill them, they would have just joined in with the Romulans, but they didn't. They trust her to do the right thing. Which, just as an aside here, there's an awful lot of communication going on with the planet, considering that they jammed the communications. Agreed would be difficult. If not impossible. (sighs) 
We're here to save each other, Soji. So she takes what he says under consideration. And, you know, as she's doing that, we see these mechanized tentacles start to reach through this portal. It's here, James. It's happened. Ganmadon, as promised, came almost instantaneously. If your definition of instantaneously is four and a half minutes of real time, which, I mean, I'm not a super strong, crazy, smart, intelligent android. No, you're not. Not at all. So maybe my definition is different, but I would think instantaneously would be a bit more, I don't know, instantaneous. <laughs> just, you know, that's just me. What is the purpose of this? Not to criticize the writing on this show. Heaven forfend. I think I'm aware of your opinion. I mean, why would they? There's no reason they needed to put that in there. Like, just say they'll come very quickly or, or just just say before. You know what? I'm not going to rewrite this show. There's no there's no point to it. Agreed. I'm sorry. So the, 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 the great evil is here. The moment of reckoning has come. The time the end of the organics is nigh. Except down on the planet, Soji is like, nah, you're right, never mind. And she punches the console, and the portal closes. And we're told via Commodore O's, like, ship, lieutenant, whatever, some some guy on the Romulan ship, that the transmitter has been destroyed. Even though the transmitter has clearly not been destroyed in any way, shape, or form, she punched a console. Like, if I break my keyboard, you're not going to say... The computer has been destroyed. Why is this so important to you? I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that again. I'm not going there again. I wish I could believe that. So, O is like, huh. Well, all right, let's go. <laughs> Does this sound like a reasonable course of action to you? And so Riker very kindly offers to escort them out of Federation space. And they just go. <laughs> They just go. Oh, really? So then we're home stretch. We're in the home stretch here. So uh, the Romulans leave. Riker calls Picard and he's like, Will, it's so great. What are you doing here? I didn't know you were come. This is fantastic. And he's like, well, I couldn't. I heard your SOS. I couldn't let you have all the fun. So I came here with all of these Starfleet ships in a ludicrous and unrealistic amount of time. And, uh, and you know, I figured, hey, why not come get your back? And Picard thanks him. And we get a nice, sweet little callback to the episode on Planet Riker where uh, he says, I learned from the best. And, uh, ah, that's so sweet. I, uh, you know, I jump on this show a lot. Yes, it is true. And I know they're still finding their feet and I give them credit. Some of the new characters have been reasonably well-developed. Like I like Elnor. I like Rios. Rafi has her moments. Seven isn't a new character, but they've taken her character in a new direction. And I like that a lot, but you know, when you have so many years of attachment, I guess, sunk into a character like Will Riker and have him interacting with Jean-Luc Picard, 
there's you know it just works like that's just they can do so much with so little there and and it's really just it mm, gets me right here here being my chestal area as i am kind of pounding it with my fist you can't see that because podcasts are an audio medium but trust that that is what's going on i was almost hoping that you find a problem so they 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 warp away and starfleet the whole starfleet fleet leaves presumably to escort the Romulans away. And Picard says, adieu, my friend. And he collapses. He is dying. That medication that he took, it gave him a few minutes, but now, now he is paying for it. The end is nigh. He, he's, he's, he's on the floor. He's collapsing. And Gerardi starts freaking out a little bit. And down on the planet, the, the comms are still open. Soji starts freaking out a little bit. Now, it is at this point in the show that Gary figured out the whole game and kicked himself for not figuring it out sooner. Nobody's perfect. And uh, so they beam down. They, they, they release the transporter blocks or whatever. They beam down to the compound where all the others are, I guess they've stopped fighting and just decided to hang out and be cool disputes are not permitted i hereby declare therefore all disagreements resolved but whatever <laughs> it's not the time it's not the time for that so um they beam down and elnor and raffi and you know everybody gathers round picard for one final goodbye he's dying these are his last moments and they have themselves a tearful goodbye and he fades away and it's over. It's not over yet. So on the other side of a commercial, Seven and Rios are sitting on a ledge of some sort and they're drinking a toast to Captain Picard. It is not good. Not good is a galactic understatement. And Seven kind of regrets killing, and in quote, killing, killing Nerissa. You said yourself that this is only a possibility. And Rios regrets letting another captain into his heart and watching him die. And Seven's like, yeah, you didn't really have a choice in that, so I win. And uh, then elsewhere, Raffi and Elnor are also sad. They don't say much, but Elnor breaks down and Raffi tries to comfort him. It's a very sweet moment, actually. Thank you. I am being a little glib about it, but it is a very nice moment. And then, and then, James. <sighs> and then it all goes sideways because Picard, Jean-Luc Picard, as if, there was another, as if you might be confused as to which Picard I was talking about. Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Picard wakes up in a colorless version of his study, and he hears a familiar voice. It's Data. Data, he says. What has happened to your hair? It looks nothing like you. No, he does not. He doesn't say that. <laughs> that, uh, but, but really, I, like, I guess they didn't have access to the old one and they didn't want to spend a ton of money on one scene, but whatever hairpiece Brent Spiner is wearing here looks terrible. <laughs> I, I can't put my finger on what's wrong with it, but it looks really bad. So uh, anyway, Data tells him that this is not a dream as he might otherwise have suspected. It is actually a simulation, a very highly advanced... I think he throws the word quantum in there because... That's what you do when you want to talk about something really techy and sophisticated. Some kind of highly, highly advanced quantum simulation. And uh, it, it was actually built 
from data's memories that he downloaded into B4 and from that neuron, that that weird, like, magical science that we heard about in episode two, where uh, we're, we're supposed to believe that data's entire being could be reconstructed essentially from one of his neurons, which not for nothing. They never actually explained where Maddox got that neuron. I should want an answer to that. I mean, I guess it could be argued that he got it during the course of his testing when he and data became friends, but I, all right, sorry, that that's, I don't need to go down that path right now. I would certainly hope not. That's what next week is for. Delightful. So data starts waxing poetic about his death. And they, he and Picard have this conversation about how Data doesn't actually remember it because his memories were downloaded before it happened. And Picard's like, that's funny. I can't forget it. I think about it all the time. And so they have a little conversation about that and, and Picard's own death. And Picard wants him to know that he regrets not telling Data that he loved him. And Data, he's like, you know... It may comfort you to know that uh, there is a small but statistically significant portion of my memory that remembers knowing that you loved me. So he's like, yes, that is comforting. Thank you for telling me. And so uh, he, he, he knew. He knew. As Soji mentioned that he knew. So that, that's kind of reinforcing that. It's, it's nice to know that that was in fact true. And uh, we also find out that this conversation isn't going to last very long because Picard's going to be leaving soon. You see the gang scanned his, they did a detail in the, in the seconds before he died and succumbed to his injuries. Doggone it. If the gang didn't do a detailed scan of Picard's brain and upload all of his memories and personality and consciousness, essentially into uh, a computer, I guess. How convenient. And so uh, he, he's 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 going to stick around. He's not actually as dead as he may have thought. No, not exactly. And so uh, Data's like, listen, do me a favor. Since, since we're tight, do me a favor, please, when you get out of here, turn me off. Beg your pardon? I, I want this simulation to end. And he's like, you want to die, Data? And Data's like, not die per se. I want to appreciate the knowledge that life is finite. So for, for however brief a time I have left, I want to know that that is finite and be able to really live, which later, I'll talk about it later. We have very little time. Um, but the, the, he wants to be turned off and Picard agrees to do it. I understand the difficult position in which I'm placed. And so then he he walks into the light, which in this instance does not mean that he's going off to heaven. It, it actually means that he's going back to earth in a manner of speaking, because it is at that point where in the real world, Robocard wakes up and he is seated around a table with Gerardi and Sung. And, and they're explaining to him what happened. He was transferred into the golem. And so that is now him. And he is informed that his synth body was created with no augmentations. He He's not super strong or fast or, or you know, great. He's he's just the same Picard he always was because Sung knew that he wouldn't want to have to get used to a new body after living 94 years in the other one. How well you know me. And they even 
provided him with a cellular homeostasis algorithm that will someday kill him because they they were paying attention. They knew he wouldn't want to be immortal. They saw the last scene. And so uh, so Picard thanks Sung and he says, my gain is your loss and I appreciate that you sacrificed something for me. And here's where I sit here and ask why. Oh, for God's sake. Like, he built the golem. He's not going anywhere. Why can't he just build another one? Like, Gerardi perfected the transference technology. It's not like they made this a one-off. You know, they, 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 they made no effort at all to explain why he couldn't just build himself another one. Uh, you know, maybe that would have taken too much effort. But it doesn't make sense. But we are led to believe that that is, in fact, the case. So... We finally, we go back to uh, Data, who is in, I guess, Picard's study for some reason still. I mean, I know the reason. They didn't want to build another set. but So he's there, and he's, uh, he's listening to Blue Skies, which, you know, was a, uh, a significant thing in Star Trek Nemesis, the movie where Data died. And it was also how we opened up the season, the, the first episode of this show this uh, Star Trek Picard series. So, you know, Blue Skies is playing as Data is sitting with a brandy snifter in a smoking jacket, which to me was very reminiscent of the scene in the future from All Good Things in Data's, uh, I guess, study in Cambridge. And so that was a nice little touch. It was, he was dressed in shades of black, so it wasn't the same jacket, but I think, I think that was supposed to be a nod to that. I'm, I'm comfortable accepting that and and as he you know kind of sits there in his void picard in the real world goes about unplugging him and then in the simulation we see a silhouette of what we are led to believe is jean-luc picard holding data's hand as he rapidly ages and then as picard in the real world unplugs the final usb stick i assume it's an isolinear chip but it looks like a usb stick As he unplugs the last one inside the simulation, the whole thing dissolves into what looks like the nebula from episode one that the whole series started with. So that was pretty. That was nice. And then in the final scene, back on the SS Van Halen, Dr. Gerardi and Rios are on the bridge smooching. Raffi and Seven are getting flirty down in the mess, which came out of nowhere. Um. Why? I mean, it's fine, but why? <laughs> and and Picard walks out and he says, it's time. And so he gathers the crew on the bridge and you, you've got you've got everyone. You've got your Rios. You got your Rafi, Gerardi, Soji's there, Seven, Elnor, Picard. We have ourselves a crew. And so... Just a, a little bit more exposition, just because you can't help yourself in the last scene. What what would this series be without exposition? Uh, we find out that, that Soji is coming along. She's done her work on the planet. She wants to go out and explore the galaxy. And uh, so since the synth ban has been lifted, she's free to go with them. And Picard opines kind of uh, wryly, well, so am I. And uh, so we get, as the music swells, we get a triumphant 
engage into season two. And we then segue into some very cinematic credits. You finished? And heavens to Murgatroyd. That was quite an episode, James. And I have many, many thoughts on that. Yes, of course. But before I expound on my thoughts, I would like to pass the baton to you here. The the MacGuffin I will hand to you (laughs) and ask you, James... What did you think of this episode? Analysis. Thank you for asking. Uh, I found myself with more questions than answers. And it was very emotional, but not quite the emotion I think that they wanted, at least personally for me. There were times when, yes, I I felt terrible that Data, quote unquote, died. And I guess there's no heaven for androids. So he just kind of shut off and that's it. So I was sad to see that. It was touching with with the song again, Blue Skies playing in the background and Picard with his uh, captain's uniform on again and Data in the uniform that he wore in Nemesis when when he sacrificed himself to save Picard and Mm. he referred to him as captain and Picard referred to him as a commander. So all that touching stuff, it was, was, I was angry though. So I was sad in one part and angry on the other. I I didn't think it was necessary for for Data to die. I thought that everything made sense up until then. Yes, a lot of questions with the golem. What about Picard's actual body and Picard's soul? I mean, you can't, there's a fake Picard now. So I want the real Jean-Luc Picard is dead. And, um, absolutely right. That's, you know, uh, that's something that I was going to bring up as well, but you're, you're absolutely right. The Picard that we are seeing now for, for season two and beyond, that is just a robotic recreation of Jean-Luc Picard. It is essentially a Picard. Well, I was going to say Picard clone. That was the plot of Nemesis, which uh, now that I think about it is, is somewhat poetic given how much they called back to that movie in this series. But uh, no, I'm not, I'm not going there. But yes, you're right. That's Jean-Luc Picard has gone off to be with Q in heaven or whatever. And he's he's uh, he's he's gone. He's he's done this. This is something that looks like Picard, sounds like Picard, thinks it's Picard, but is not Picard. Thank you. Uh, and what of Picard's body and, and what of his his heart? You know, he had the synthetic heart. So is that just going to go to waste, too? So I have that those two big questions. Commodore O, as you very astutely pointed out she just turns tail and runs out after years of crimes against the federation infiltrating i mean god the the list of things and laws that she's broken assassination uh, ordering uh, assassination yes (laughs) among other things espionage i'm I'm sure all that's fine okay Okay. honestly james i thought of that as well the only possible out that i can i can think of is that given that he was face down with a fleet of 218 Romulan ships, maybe Riker didn't want to pick that fight at that time. Like she's obviously not going back to Starfleet command. So she's, you know, that, that threat. Well, I was going to say that threat is no longer there. I'm sure she had other moles in the organization, but I would say the way I justified that scene is to say that in order to, you know, they weren't just going to hand her over if he demanded it. So he probably figured, all right, let's just take the victory that we've got and leave it there for now. All right. So there, there's one. Discretion being the better part of valor. Yeah. So one gaping job opening for Starfleet now. <laughs> uh, another one being uh, Kirsten, that, that foul-mouthed 
uh, higher up in, in Starfleet as well, who was kind of like her, I guess, second in command or lapdog or whatever. Was she corrupt too? Or was she just so dumb following orders against, uh, oh, that she's still in Starfleet? And, and You're talking about the Admiral that Picard yes. faced off with? Yes, Clancy? yes, yes. Thank you. So I suspect she's clean. Like, okay. She, I think she was just reporting in to the head of Starfleet security who has a reputation for being, you know, a hard nosed operator. Uh, that, that's, that was my read on, on that whole thing. She could be dirty, but I would not assume that. Okay. And then finally, uh, at least from what I could think of for now, are Picard and, and his new crew now, are they Fenris Rangers? It looked like that they had uniforms. They have their own little com badges now and, uh, the last scene there on the uh, the USS uh, Van Halen, what was that all about? I admit, I did not notice the com badges. I was a little distracted by the weird romances going on, yeah. and that's my fault. I should go back and watch it. But I will say, uh, it is possible now. Some again in the wild wastes of the internet, as I've I've mentioned before, I have read message boards and things just trolling for news where people have espoused things, random things, theories, and other random facts about this show. And one person had pointed out a while ago that the Van Halen had its own logo, like its own ship logo. And in fact, there is merch on the Star Trek website that they are selling. There's like, there's at least a journal, like a leather bound journal with the logo stamped on the front of the journal for like, 20 or 30 bucks or something. <laughs> so if you need a journal with, with a, a logo that you don't recognize, then you can go over to star Trek.com and pick that up. But uh, if that is the same logo, Oh yes, it is. Then that's, that's probably what it is since they are a crew now with their own ship. I mean, we can talk about this next week, but technically I guess Picard's contract with Rios is over because the mission is complete, but I suspect that they're going to be a crew going forward into season two and beyond. As do I. Gotcha. And finally, what about Laris and, and Jabon? Uh, I know that uh, we said that maybe there wasn't a way to get them back into this season the way things unfolded, but hopefully we see them again in season two and beyond. I'd like that very much. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about that next week, but uh, the only way, the only conceivable way I could have seen getting them into this episode was... When Picard was dying, he had kind of brief flashes of, of himself walking through the vineyard, and then he kind of met Data. We were we were revisiting the dreams that he had with Data. They could have been in the vineyard, just in the background, or or you know they could have said a word to him as he passed. But I guess they just maybe they didn't want to complicate things. It it is. We'll talk about it next week. All right, thank you. But yeah, I thought they were main characters that at least deserved to have a little goodbye at the end of the season. But uh, Agreed. With, with the announcement of, of um, two more seasons for Picard, maybe they figured what the heck. But I agree. I agree. Uh, so all in all, Did to they end- announce two more seasons. I know I read that Patrick Stewart said that he thought that three seasons would be a natural progression for this series but i don't did they announce two more seasons i only heard that they announced one more season i thought i heard three no not exactly but i could be wrong i I, could i'm not yeah i'm not not gonna i'm not gonna promise you plan for three okay well well, well, yeah i mean that that's that's a good star trek number right so Mm -hmm. in in terms of original series and so on and so forth but to answer your question uh finally 
it it was a bit of a letdown the uh the season finale so it was emotional yes i was very excited to see riker being riker and captain riker too which was awesome that that was great and i agree with you 100% there too whenever they went for those kind of calls it it worked perfectly for for the for us next generation fanatics well done for the most part yes there were way too many plot holes and and way too many things that were questionable and distracting so as a sci-fi fan, as a Star Trek fanatic, I was let down by all of that stuff. If they mission accomplished for getting the casual fan involved and the non-Star Trek fan, then hopefully they did that. But to justify, to pay for this service and watch this series, I don't know if I'd recommend it. All right. Well, that's fair. And, you know, we can... But before I get into our, our future plans, I just had a couple things. One... As you know, you kind of went into. I I was gonna mention that Picard is, in fact, the the real Jean Luc Picard is canonically, legitimately, and completely dead. I am not dead. Yes, yes, you are absolutely dead. Uh, I'm sorry to say. The other thing is that the, the the other like big thing that really stuck in my craw from this episode. The the big question that I had is. Why wouldn't Data want to live? Right. Now, I, I'm not... So, I guess if we're making a big deal about how Picard is actually canonically, legitimately dead, we should also kind of point out that Data is also dead. This was not actually Data. This was a Data AI, essentially. A created Data AI that was created in akin to Picard. Created from his memories, but not the, you know... This gets into what you were talking about with the soul and, and, but no, I'm not going to, no, I'm not doing that right now. But so this is my question. I get that data wants to have like a finite lifespan and he wants that to have meaning, but why couldn't, uh, this is the same question I had with, with Sung. Why, instead of having Picard pull the plug, why wouldn't he have asked that they upload his consciousness into a custom-built data android so that he could live out a finite lifespan in the real world, conceivably with Jean-Luc Picard and with the friends that he was talking about treasuring. And, you know, the 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 knowledge that life is finite, that that's, you know, those moments you're able to really cherish because you know that they will end sometime. Why not go out into the real world and actually have some of those moments that you can cherish? Like, it just didn't make sense to me. It, I maybe Brent Spiner wanted to be done with the series, but I I don't get it. No, excellent points all the way, and they opened up that can of worms with, with yeah, absolutely. With, so that would make a hundred percent sense to me. Also, okay, excellent point. Maybe Brent doesn't want to play Data anymore. Okay, if that's the case, then the, the budget seemed like they could do a, a CGI of data, you know, it would just make sense. But if they did convince Brent Spiner to stick around for another season or two, then that would at least justify that data grew older. Then you could see that he's not the, the, the tight skinned young buck he used to be. So that would make sense that the Android itself is aging too. Right. So I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. Um, I'm thoroughly confused there and I have no answers whatsoever. All right. Well, that's fair. Listener, if, if you have some answers, we want to hear from you. We, we very much want to hear from you because this show is not over. Season one of Star Trek Picard is over, but this show is not. So if you have theories, if you have questions, if, 
you have anything, any thoughts, and I'm going to explain what we're going to do next week and beyond. So this is relevant. What you think is especially relevant given where we're going. So if you have thoughts on where this is going or where this has been or really anything about the series thus far, we want to hear from you. So please email us at vintagepicard at gmail.com or you can tweet at us, Instagram, Facebook, get us. We're Vintage Picard pretty much everywhere. If you if you don't want to tweet directly at us, you can tweet using the hashtag Vintage Picard and you can, you know, we want to know what you're thinking because we can incorporate it into our conversation for next week. And what are we doing at long last? Mac, you've drawn this out way too long. The payoff is not going to be worth the build, but what are we doing next week? Well, next week, James and I are going to do a wrap up of the entire first season I am committing to doing a rewatch of the whole first season, so I, I'm I'm not going to, you know, go nearly as detailed with every episode as I did throughout. You can go back and reference the episodes one by one for that. But in light of the knowledge of where it all goes, I'm going to rewatch everything. I'm going to kind of make my my macro notes of, you know, what threads were never resolved, what didn't work what really did work maybe what what they set up that really paid off that we didn't see coming at the time what was important what wasn't and specifically where are we going in a season two so we will have our predictions for where the series might go in season two we will have our 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 fantasy casting let's say for the hopes of who we might see show up in a season two there's plenty of next generation cast left for cameos there's guest stars from that series there's people that appeared you know new characters or or maybe characters that were just mentioned on this series in this season that we can talk about so all that you can expect for next week now beyond next week because that's that's just one more week we're not planning on just doing one more episode and done after next week, we are going to be going to a bi-weekly schedule every other week. James and I are going to start, we're going to look at the, the individual series, not episode by episode. We're going to cover them series by series. And we are going to kind of give you an overview of maybe what we think are the best episodes, what we think uh, is, is kind of the thrust of the series, what you know, maybe the best moments, what we liked about it how it ties into this if applicable and you know really just kind of give you our thoughts on the series on again a macro level so you know we we will start doing that again two weeks from next week so i guess three weeks from now but that will be for then for now we have we have had quite a journey and i think there's a lot to process so we will leave a lot of that processing for next week so we will be right here back with you for that episode, that wrap-up episode. In the meantime, I will implore you, please, my friends, choose to live. Bye! Do you want to make What the F a new segment? <laughs> it's a little on the nose, but we could make it work. No, that, that, that's not necessary. I like the... Uh... What the frakes. <laughs> I like that one. That's, I like that. Yes, please. I'm writing that down. Okay.
<laughs> That's good.